Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is Cannonball Run 2, that star-studded movie that somehow slipped past me all these years, but it was a blast to review. We had Nick in the studio for the first time since the pandemic started, so it was real cool to get together with Nick and Jamie face-to-face. Only downside, we didn't have video, but save you a week having to look at our ugly faces. And the review is pretty awesome. But the interview that we got for this movie is even awesomer. It was so cool to talk to actor, writer, comedian, director. He's done it all. And that is Sandy Hackett. Sandy is son of legendary comedian Buddy Hackett. And I thought of Sandy and his dad when I was just in Disney with my daughter and my wife because we went on the Little Mermaid ride and I heard the voice and I was like, oh, Buddy Hackett, Sandy's interview is going to be about out in a few weeks. So it was fun to talk to Sandy about, you know, his dad and his career, like having to have a career when you have, you know, just his legendary father, but his dad was great. And he does a flawless impression of his dad that if you close your eyes, you can just imagine him doing it. So we talked about uh, my buddy, his, his movie and his show. We talked about his rap pack and we talked about his talented family too. His wife, Lisa Dawn Miller, his kids that are super talented, there's a super talented family. So any links that we talk about in the episode, it'll be in the notes. So anything you see, don't have to like pull your car over while you're driving 70. It'll be in the episode notes so you can check it out there. And do me a favor, please review, rate, subscribe, and also follow us on all social media at sequels only so you can not miss out on any other amazing episodes like this one. Without further ado, here is Sandy Hackett. A few years ago, I I'm a huge Mark Marin fan, and I and I heard your interview on there. And then this is before I even thought about even trying to, or if anybody would even want to talk to me. And then it just so happened my buddy Jamie reached out to you, and I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Your interview like really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. Really? I, what resonated in particular? Like you were able to, obviously it's in a bigger light. Mine was like, it's just a small town. I couldn't handle it. I, I escaped it because I could not handle hearing things about my dad. And I don't know if that's something you had growing up with kids in your school or people being like, Hey, your dad's buddy. Hackett. Was that something that happened a lot? I don't want to say yes or no, because I actually don't really remember. Yes, it did happen. I don't know that it happened a lot. I mean, in my life, there have been so many different situations. There's been uh, admiration. There's been jealousy. There's been people wanting to beat me up because they thought I had something they didn't. There's been kindness. There's been acceptance. There's been just, you know, what's it like? So I've experienced absolutely everything from fisticuffs to, you know, whatever, to, to great uh, generosity. So, so did you grow up in New Jersey? Where was like your first residence? My, I was born in New York. Oh, nice. As my, I was born in a hospital. I wanted to be near my mother. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> And thank you. And, uh, you know, I have a show I wrote about my dad. It's called My Buddy. And anybody listening can go to the website, mybuddyhackett.com. And this show, even though it's about my father, it's really a father-son story. So anybody, you know, any parent-child can identify with these, you know, mother-daughter, father-daughter, father-son uh, mother-son relationship. It's it's just a it's just a people story. Just the elements happen to be my dad was Buddy Hackett. So there's yeah. some things that some people wouldn't have in their story, but it's it's a relationship story more than anything. Anyway, uh, grew up in my dad. Uh, I was born in New York. Uh, my parents first lived in Leonia, New Jersey. Okay. On the on the Englewood uh, Country Club, and then they moved to Fort Lee, New Jersey. And we lived there for two or three years. And then my dad went out to California to make It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and moved the family out there. And we lived out there for a year. And then we came back to New Jersey. And I remember I was, uh, you know, probably like most kids, you know, if you were from there, 
Uh, I was a little skinny kid, and all I could say in the wintertime is, it's cold. I want to go back to California. <laughs> and one day, my parents looked at me and said, you know, he's right. That's good. <laughs> good thing you said it. Yeah. And uh, so we did move back to California, but I, I can't say that it was because of me. My dad was also, you know, Hollywood was out there. He was doing films. He also was working in Las Vegas uh, and Las Vegas to LA was, you know, an hour by plane, a four hour drive. Uh, so it was a much better place for him to be for the family than it was, than New Jersey was. And obviously the weather much better. Yeah. <laughs> so grow so growing up with that when did you realize that your dad was to you he's your dad and you know obviously from you mentioned all the interactions we had with folks over the years when did you know that he was like a real like a big deal well there's a story i tell in the show about he had done a movie called the wonderful world of the brothers grimm and in that, it was a trilogy of stories. And one of the stories was uh, him, uh, Terry Thomas, who played a knight, and the king sent him to go slay the dragon. And his servant was my father. Um, and when he got to the cave where the dragon was, and it's really funny to see the film nowadays, because, you know, in those days, they didn't have special effects. And, you know, this thing looked so archaic. But uh, at that time, I think I was maybe five or six. So um, he sends uh, the knight and his squire to the cave uh, to go kill the dragon. And the knight is said, you know, you've got to come back with the head of the dragon. And so when he gets there, the dragon breathes fire and it comes out the cave, you know, with just the worst special effects. But at the time they were, you know, incredible. And so he sends my father in to fight the dragon. And my father, you know, it's comedic, but he ends up killing a dragon by happenstance. <laughs> and so then the Terry Thomas doesn't want anybody to realize that his servant is the one that killed the dragon. So he beheads my father. And I was, I think, maybe six, maybe seven. I think I was six years old when that happened. And I went to the movie theater with my mother. Um, and I was totally freaked out. I, I didn't realize it was a movie. I thought I watched my dad get beheaded <laughs> and, and, and I, I was crying. I was a wreck. And at the end of the movie, he gets resurrected through the magic of the storytelling. Uh, there's a flute that plays and it brings him back to life. But I was, my head was buried and I was crying and I, my dad's dead, daddy's dead, daddy's dead. I can't believe he's dead, daddy's dead. And my mother kept trying to console me. We went home. We know he's, he's home at, at home. I want to see. I want to go home. I want to go home. What is he, daddy? And I, he was laying asleep on the couch, and I jumped on top of him, and I'm hugging him. And he goes, well, what's the matter? I said, they killed you. You're dead. He said, I'm not dead. It's a movie. It's all make-believe. And he took me to a screening probably several weeks later. Someone explained everything to me. But it was very traumatic at that age. I bet. I think that's the first time I realized that my dad wasn't like other dads yeah. where not only he could get killed. Uh, I didn't realize he came back to life in the movie, but he was alive when I got home. <laughs> was your dad, I know, you know, I'm not going to try to touch on a lot of the things that you've talked about before, but uh, one thing that was really cool <clears throat> was that you talked about your dad was kind of, he was kind of strict, but was he just, did he just have everyone just rolling all day long? No, not everyone rolling all day long. He yeah. was he was innately funny. He just yeah. everything he did had a comic thing to it. But you know, he did a lot of things. He was a business guy. He also loved medicine. And, and he had he not been a comedian, and his parents could have afforded to send him to med school, he would have much rather been a doctor. Wow. And eventually, he followed some of his. I mean, he had a lot of doctor friends. He scrubbed up on several operations. He went into hospitals. He was very familiar. I don't know if you know of a book called the PDR, which is the physician's desk reference. And it, I don't even know if they published it anymore, but it used to have every drug that came out annually and a picture of the pill and what its indications and contraindications were. And my dad knew every pill, every in the book, I mean, 500 pages of medicine. Wow. And you'd say, he'd be talking to someone and they'd take a pill. He'd say, what are you taking there? He said, oh, I'm taking uh, uh, Zafranin. And, oh, Zafranin. He says, oh, yeah, you shouldn't take that with the uh, orange juice. And he knew all about it. <laughs> he was amazing. That sounds like a good stand-up routine. 
that he probably oh, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, so it was, and and you know, we're adults now, so you hear that story, and you know, oh come on, your dad was. But when you're six years old and you you see this big screen, and your dad gets his head lopped off, and I don't even know if they actually showed it or they just inferred that his head was cut off. Yeah, you know, but whatever it was, it was very traumatic at that age. And, you know, you know that something's a little different in your family. Yeah. So what age did you think about doing entertaining? I know you, you had the moment. I love the story when you're on Rowan and Martin's laughing. I think that's so cool. Was it around that time? You're like, wow, you know what? Maybe I can do this. No, I don't think that I, I knew until late in my teens uh, when I started college, um, but along the way, there were some signs like, you know, that particular story of when I did Rona Martin's laugh and I just went to hang out with my dad. You know, yeah. I came home from school one day and he goes, I'm going to go do Rona Martin's laugh and you want to come hang out. And I used to hang out with him all the time. And I said, sure. And uh, but and one of the reasons I went was because Dick Martin, who uh, he had been back east when my dad was back east, they were close friends. And he had a son named Carrie, who was my age. And we kind of grew up and hung out together. And my dad and Dick, when we lived in New Jersey, they built us a tree house. So <laughs> when he said he's going to uh, do Rona Martin's lap, and I knew the show, it was the hottest show there was. And my dad was going to be a guest star, but I also was going to see, you know, Uncle Dick. Yeah, as far as cool. I was concerned. So, I, you know, I went to just hang out. And, you know, I, you know the story, but I'll tell it again they're sitting around debating this joke and I, the censors aren't going to let it go. It's too dirty. We can't tell it. Uh, I don't like it. No, you should tell it. It's fine. It will get by with it. And they're all arguing. And I just, I'm off in the corner and I just said, I'm just a kid, but I, I thought, I don't, I thought it was funny. And everybody turned at me and, and looked at me and said, uh, perfect. Let's use it. And uh, I, I, then my dad walked over and she said, you want to be on television? I said, okay, what do I have to do? He said, you're just going to sit here and say what you just said. I said, okay, we rehearsed it one time for the camera. Uh, they got the camera, he gave me an apple and said, when you finish a line, just bite into the apple. I said, all right. And then the next year when he was the guest star again, they, he said to me, I'm going back to do Rowan and Martin's laugh. And then they want to know if you want to be on again. They write some stuff for you. I said, okay. And they did. They wrote a bunch of you know little vignettes that I did. And uh, so I was on that year and I think I was on the year later and I did some vignettes. I got to work with some of the, the stars of the show. Uh, I was in the in the uh, the wall with my dad doing some jokes. I mean, it was a, it was a fun experience, but I wasn't saying to myself, oh, I want to be in show business. I just was ha- hanging out with my dad. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then you went to school. Why? Why did you go into ho- hotel management? That's where you went to UNLV, right? Yes, I did. When I was, I think I was 15 years old and it was summertime and it was coming up on the summertime. And my, my dad said, what do you, what do you want to do this summer? I said, I don't know. Well, you got to do something. Uh, I said, well, I don't know. He says, how would you like to be a lifeguard in Las Vegas at a pool? I said, uh, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, in those days, the stage manager at the Sahara hotel where my dad worked probably 20, 25 weeks a year and Del Webb, who at the time owned the Sahara, who at one time had Del Webb construction, Del Webb Sun City, Del Webb Sun City, Summerlin, Del Webb Sun City, Phoenix, he owned a chain of hotels. He at one time owned the New York Yankees and he loved my father and he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't go off to another hotel So he made him a vice president of entertainment and his job was to solicit and get other acts and bring them to the hotel and then uh, help find acts and book them. And then of course work at the hotel. So uh, my dad worked there, you know, he'd end up with a 12 to 18 week contract and then someone would fall out and they'd call him to fill in. And he felt very responsible because he was now the vice president and so he would come in and fill in. And the stage manager was a great guy. His name was Walter Jagodzinski. And uh, he and my dad became great friends. And Walter was the stage manager at the Sahara Hotel at night. And he was the pool manager at the Stardust Hotel during the day. And I think they were up in the dressing room one night. 
And my dad said, I'm looking for something for my kid to do this summer. I'd like to find him a job. And Walter said, why doesn't he come work for me at the pool? And he said, where would he live? He says, I have an extra room in my house. And that's what happened. I went to Las Vegas and I ended up uh, meeting Walt and living at Walt's house. And then I, I worked for him and we became, he's like a second father. Oh, wow. And it was cool. And then all the other guys there, they were all different ages. I was probably the youngest lifeguard at 15, but several more, 17, 18, 19, were going into college or, or one or two were in college and they were going to UNLV. But here I am working at the pool to start us. But at the start us, we had to go to the laundry to get the towels. We had to fix the chairs. We had to clean the pool. We worked with engineering. We worked with the kitchen. We worked with the laundry. We worked with maintenance for the gardeners because we had grass lawns where we put the chairs out and the, we'd run over a sprinkler head. And we'd have to <laughs> call it engineering. So I got to know a lot of people in the hotel um, and, and how to fix things and how to do things. And then I picked up one of the guy's books and said, oh, there's a degree in hotel management. And I was fake fit. I love Las Vegas. And I used to work as a lifeguard during the day and I would go hang out with Walt at night and go see all the shows at the Sahara. Obviously when my dad was there, but we also had Johnny Carson worked, Rowan and Martin worked, Tony Bennett, Lena Horn, Telly Savalas, Eddie wow. Arnold, George Burns, Jack Benny, Flip Wilson, Shecky Green, Don Rickles. I mean, you know, every two or three weeks, the acts would change and I would go watch them all. It was, you know, a lot of guys grew up in the comedy clubs and they go to the comedy clubs and see the up and coming guys or the new guys that were busting out. And I was hanging out in the showroom in Las Vegas watching, you know, the, the, the superstars. Yeah. The finish at the finished guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One thing that's really cool is when you had that, that moment that when you were working for the hotel and you were in charge of, you know, looking at the tapes for like up and coming comedians. And then you had that, then you wanted to start it, right? Doing comedy? No, I'm not sure. Eventually, so I was 15. Eventually I, I kept going back every summer and then I, I loved it. I'd go up for Easter. I'd go, you know, anytime it was warm weather, I could go back and work to the pool. But at night, I, I didn't want to just hang out in the shows, even though I, I liked watching them. So I started working uh, when I was 15 to work three nights a week or three or four nights a week in the kitchen uh, as a cook's helper. And I worked in the coffee shop, uh, worked the whole line from, uh, you know, cooking steaks and burgers and sandwiches and making salads. And I worked in the soda fountain. I worked in the bakery. I worked in the House of Lords. I, I mean, and then a couple of years out of doing that, then I went to the next summer. I got a job at Caesars at the front desk and I worked at the front desk for two summers at night and during the pool during the day. So uh, eventually when I started UNLV, uh, when you go to hotel school, you have to have what they call 800 hours of hotel experience and yeah. 400 hours have to be front of the house. 400 hours have to be back of the house. So, you know, I tell them, oh, I worked as a lifeguard. There's my 800 hours. They said, oh, no, first of all, that's front of the house. And second of all, we'll give you 50 hours credit for your 2,000 hours. <laughs> oh, we man. want you to work throughout the hotel. And <laughs> so then there were, they had a program in place. And I was lucky because I already had contacts at the, at the Sahara, which was a Del Webb hotel. But Del Webb had an internship program. So I signed up for the internship program and then you got moved from every semester, you got moved to a different department. And one of the departments I worked in was the executive office. And I, and I actually got to work in marketing, advertising, publicity, and entertainment. And I would go into whoever the boss's office was of that department and say, you know, I'd introduce myself and say, is there anything I can do for you? And, um, so, uh, the marketing guy, he gave, gave me a piece of paper. There were two or three other interns and we went into his office and it was under his auspices. This, this internship program had started. His name was John Romero. And John was a wonderful guy. He was a, a marathon runner. He'd come up with a lot of, uh, interesting gaming things, promotions. And John took us all in and he gave us a, a handout. And he said, uh, here, I want all this done by the end of the semester and report back to me. And uh, so we all left and I came in the next week and I said, can I see you? And he says, oh, are there some questions? I said, no, I did everything. <laughs> he goes, 
He goes, what? I said, on the list, I did everything you asked. Is there something else? He said, what do you mean you did everything? I said, well, he said, where is it? And then I start showing him. And he says, wow. Um, okay, uh, come back tomorrow. I'll have something else for you. And I did. I came back the next day. And then a week later, I came back. And that's done. And I kept, that's how my relationship started with him. And then I go into the other offices. And I think about the fourth week, John, when I came in to see him, he said, sit down. He says, I've been, we've been doing this like eight or 10 years. He says, no student has ever come back from after I give him the initial handout. Oh, At wow. the end of the semester, they just say, I, I couldn't find the information. I didn't know where to get it. I couldn't help. I, I didn't know how to do it. Why didn't you come see me? Well, I was really busy with school. And, you know, it was this, he says, you're the first one to ever come back. Not only come back and ask me a question, but do everything. And so I kept doing things. And uh, so the entertainment director, I came in one day and he had all these, I think it was VHS tapes. And it might have just been um, audio tapes on his credenza, uh, maybe a couple hundred of them. And he said, can you listen to this shit and tell me if any of it's any good? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, he says, and then let me know. So, uh, you know, and in those days, you got no computers. You know, we had an IBM Selectric typewriter. And uh, I, I, so I'm typing up a list of all the people, and I'm putting a thing, and then I'm listening, and I'm putting, you know, who it is, you know, Bob Smith, a comedian, uh, not very funny. Cassafras, uh, <laughs> uh, four-piece musical band, uh, sounds pretty good. Uh, uh, Mary Jane, the girl singer, doesn't know how to sing. <laughs> Sue Blommer, uh, uh, singer, beautiful voice. And so I, I, you know, and it took me, I don't know, whatever it took, uh, several days, a week, two weeks. And um, so I come back into his office and he, he goes, what? I gave you something to do. I said, yeah, it's done. Did you listen to everything? I said, yeah. He says, well, so what do you think? So I started going through the thing and I said, um, you know, the lounge is dark on Monday night. Why don't we take a couple of these acts and give them a, a shot in there and audition them? And he goes, okay, go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I did. And that's what you're talking about is that yeah. that started something we called at the time was called the Sahara showcase of talent. And then eventually it became Sandy Hackett's talent showcase at the Sahara. And I became the host, the producer. Um, and uh, if you were in Las, if you were an act coming through Las Vegas or you wanted to get up on stage, I mean, everybody came to the thing. It was the hottest thing on Monday night. We did incredible because every entertainer would bring their friends, their family to come see the show. And, we had a little band for the singers and we had self-contained package reviews. I put the comedians on out in front of the, the uh, curtain while we set up a band or a singer or something like that. And it was very effective. And some of the performers that came through over the years, uh, Drew Carey, Howie oh, Mandel, wow. uh, Andrew Dice Clay, uh, Kenny Jones. I mean, just, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of stuff, plus a lot of action. Other acts saw them and use them uh, yeah. come in and see them and buy them and put them to work and things like that. And I got my stage time by being the host and killing time in between acts while we were getting the next act ready. What was that like? Like the first time that you, you did that, that was the first time you were ever on stage, right? No, no, not at all. Um, oh, okay. I was in a friend, when I was, well, when I was on stage in that situation, perhaps, but in uh, high school as a freshman, we had, and now they call it festival. When my son went to school, it's called festival. When I went to school, it's called forensics. And they had the debate team. And then they had uh, speeches. Uh, they had uh, original oratory, impromptu, dramatic interpretation, humorous interpretation, and so for one of my, for my class, I took this public speaking and we had to do speeches and I picked humorous interpretation. I did my dad's Chinese waiter and the teacher said to me, you should, you should compete in this forensics. And I did. And as a freshman, I won the California state tournament in, in humorous interpretation. Oh my God. That's awesome. 
Yeah, but the funny thing about it is when you first go and do it, uh, you've got to learn. It's got to be, you know, it's, it, it, there's all kinds of rules. It's got to have an introduction. It can't be, it can only be like six minutes. Uh, you have to say who the author is. And then you're not allowed to what they call break. You can't laugh at yourself. And if the audience is laughing at you, you can't laugh. You get points down for that. But the first time you go to a competition, you know, there's a teacher and five or six kids that are competing. And that's your audience. You're competing against the other contestants. So nobody laughs at you. They just, <laughs> they just look at you like, oh, no, I'm not laughing at you. Yeah. But then you get, then they have some, and you get to go to some other things. And then the kids from the other speeches, sudden there's, you know, from the five or six kids you're competing against, sometimes there's 10 or 12 or somebody's got a mother or a friend, 15 people. And all of a sudden, 15 people from, you know, five people that you're competing against was a huge difference. Now there was some tittering and some laughing. And then if you got through that, you ended up in the quarterfinals or then the semifinals and then the finals. And now you got people coming to, you know, in the, in the early tournaments, there were maybe 25, 30 people. Then you get in a room, you know, uh, maybe the finals were maybe 60 people, 50, 60 people. But eventually the California State Tournament was held at UCLA and the finals, the quarterfinals, I think, were held in a room that held about two, 250. And then the finals were held in an auditorium that held five or 600. And I was 15 years old and my dad worked with me on the Chinese waiter. It had been a routine of his that had launched him. And then he decided to give it to me as a present. And that summer he, we were on the road. He was on the road. We were in New York. He was working at the Westbury Long Island, which is uh, in the round, uh, 3,000 people. And somebody yelled, hey, buddy, do the Chinese waiter. And he goes, I don't do that anymore. I gave it as a present to my son. You want to hear it? He says, well, he happens to be here tonight, and maybe he'd like to do it for you. He says, boy, are you here? I said, yeah. He said, you want to work? I said, okay. And that was that was scary. I bet. <laughs> come down the aisle, and you're in front of 3,000 people in the round. They're everywhere. It's not even like you come up from backstage. And I, I, I walked down, and he helped me up on the stage, and he gave me the mic, and he said, stand in the middle and just turn a little bit, a little quarter turn every few seconds so everybody could see you. And I did the routine, and I got a nice response, and uh, that's kind of how I started. So by the, I was a ham. I loved it. Yeah, and that so is by, amazing. By the time I got to Las Vegas at, you know, 18 years old, I was, you know, very much loved being on stage. That is so cool. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And then you were lucky enough to tour with your dad for what, 10 years? Yeah. Man, what years was that? Was that like the eight, throughout the 80s or? Yeah, it was throughout. I'm trying to remember. I was probably in my mid-20s to mid-30s. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my dad remembers, used to remember every date. If he sang a song <laughs> yeah. that had a script, they had done when he was six years old. He remembered every word. And I don't. <laughs> but it, it was around, it was around then. And uh, toured with him. We did probably 25, 30 shows a year. And then uh, he had done an HBO special. And then I was the opening act on the second HBO special. But I wasn't, they recorded me and gave me a tape of me, but I wasn't part of the special except for the opening. Um, but that was a tremendous experience. Yeah, having the opportunity, you know, just to tour with your dad, be on the road, the ins and outs of different cities and hotels and, eating out like that'd be something i don't even know i'm sure they were around but did you ever like videotape or have anything like that from those trips no no you know i mean we're so spoiled because in today's world we've got our iphones oh i know take them out you can take a picture or video you can capture every moment you know and there was nothing like that then 
you know, you had to have a Super 8 camera and then it didn't have audio. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Horse monstrous. You know, but editing it and putting it out there or creating it, and then there was no outlet for it. There was no YouTube or anything like that. There was no Instagram. No, that would have been cool like to have something like that if it was nowadays. Like, it would be like, really cool to see the ins and outs of like a father-son touring, doing comedy. I think that's like a really special thing. Now, your son and daughter are performers too? Yes. That is – how did that happen? Was that like one of those moments like when you told your dad that you were doing it? Did you have, feel like a little special something inside when they said, Dad, I want to try doing you know, singing or comedy? Well, uh, amazingly, uh, the woman I married, her father is Ron Miller. I know. Ron I was Ron reading Miller. about that today, and I'm like, oh, talking about the, the just the amount of people you have surrounded you that were super successful. Right. So for your audience that's unfamiliar with Ron, Ron is one of America's greatest songwriters. Yeah. Um, a modern day Shakespeare. He wrote for once in my life, touch me in the morning. If I could yesterday, 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 someday Christmas, heaven help us all. I've never been to me. Uh, and on and on and on and prolific songwriter. So, um, I think my wife and I were, had been in New York and we went to see, uh, wicked and she wanted to learn. My wife's an incredible singer, by the way, music producer. Her name is Lisa Dawn Miller. And, uh, you can go to her website, Lisa Dawn Miller, and hear her incredible voice, also an incredible songwriter, and uh, like her father. So um, she's trying to learn uh, one of the songs from Define Gravity from Wicked, and uh, his son comes out, I think he's four, and he <laughs> sings the whole song. Wow. <laughs> and he goes, I want to sing it, and he just started singing it and knew it. It was amazing. That is awesome. And uh, in fact, uh, my wife right now, we're headed to New York this week. Uh, she's already I saw. Because he went, he, he's in, um, uh, he just did a Shakespeare play and had the lead in that uh, for five performances at NYU. And she went oh, to go sweet. see him. And then we're going to do a couple of Rat Pack shows back east at the, uh, in uh, the Palace Theater in Waterbury, Connecticut, and the Terrytown Music Hall in Terrytown, New York. That is cool. So how did you meet your wife? Well, it depends who you talk to. So to <laughs> give you this long story, to me, I just say it was Russian uh, uh, mail order bride service gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say is just that just who you, you know, your, your fathers are. I wonder if that's how you clicked when the first time you sat down and like ate dinner or something, you bring up, hey, my dad's so-and-so, my dad's so-and-so. And then you have like this, this bond right from it. Well, uh, amazingly, my wife didn't really know who my father was. She didn't know who Buddy Hackett was when we first met. That didn't ring a bell with her. (laughs) That is pretty amazing. And I didn't know who her father was. I knew some of the songs, but I didn't realize that they'd been written. I thought Stevie Wonder wrote for once in my life, but it was written by Ron Miller. (laughs) And we, we have a family saying when something happens, we go, Oh, uh, my dad wrote a song about that. I said, oh, my dad talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple things more I want to ask you before I let you go. But uh, one thing is, so obviously you, you intertwine with all these people being out, with, being out in Vegas all those years and your dad. What made you start you know, the Rat Pack shows that you do? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, I was home one uh, in, I was working in Las Vegas in the Folie Bergere, which was a big production show at the Tropicana Hotel. And I had gotten a contract as the comedian in the show. And the entertainment director, whose father had booked my father, and now the son was now had taken over as the entertainment director at the Tropicana. He had hired me. And one day he came backstage before the show and said, Dress to me, he goes, Joey Bishop is coming up to shoot a pilot for a game show and he needs some comedians. Would you like to do it? I said, I love Joey. It's uncle Joey. He goes, I know. I told him you were here and he he asked me if I would ask you. And I said, absolutely. I would love to do it. So Joey's shooting this game show, a pilot for a game show called Joey Bishop's punchline. 
and he had three comedians and him as the host and he would like tell a joke and then the three comedians had to come up with an alternate punchline and um the uh situation was then we played for someone in the audience and then they they wrote it they um uh what do you call it? they voted on who had the best punchline yeah so um Joey kept reshooting this pilot. He'd come up every few weeks and shoot it again. He didn't like it. He kept fixing it. And he kept changing comedians, except for me. He kept me. So our relationship, as strong as it had been, because I'd known Joey for years, and he was Uncle Joey, and he lived up the street, and I went to his house, and he taught me to box, and we hung out. <laughs> but now I kept waiting to hear from him, you know, if they sold the pilot. I was hoping I was going to have a job on television on this game show. And, uh, you know, I didn't hear from Joey for a really long time, probably seven, eight, nine months. I don't even remember. And one day the phone rings. I said, hello. And a voice says, hello, Nip. I said, uh, uncle Joey. He says, yes. I said, to what do I have the pleasure? He says, HBO is doing a movie about the red pack. I think you would be perfect to play me. I said, wow, uh, uncle Joey, I, I would love to portray you. I'm I'm flattered. I'm honored. What do I do? Who do I talk to? He says, I don't know. Nobody called me. <laughs> and that's, that's the truth. And they did that HBO movie uh, called the rat pack. And uh, with um, uh, Joe Montaigne and uh, I forgot everybody else, but, uh, and the role of uh, Joey Bishop had been cast with by Bobby Slayton, who's a wonderful comedian and did a nice job in in the movie. But unfortunately, the movie was not about the Rat Pack. They used that for uh, visibility, but it really was about how Sinatra helped get Kennedy elected president. It was much more of a biopic about uh, historical events about Sinatra, you know, being involved with the election. And, but that set me on a course to, uh, I'd called my agent and he, he said, no, it's already been cast, the, 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 the role's been cast. But that set me on a course to want to create a show and get an opportunity to play my my friend Joey Bishop, who thought I would be perfect to play him. That is so cool. And what year did you start that? Was it right after that, like 2000? Uh, there was uh, 9-11 was in 2001. So then it was it was, yeah, it was the next spring. So it was 2002. And you're doing it still. That's that's amazing. How many shows do you typically do in a year? You know, every year is different. Sometimes yeah. we do a hundred and sometimes, I mean, and the show ran full time in Las Vegas for a decade. Wow. Um, and we were doing, you know, six shows, uh, one show a night. Uh, but we've been on the road doing uh, what they call a Broadway touring schedule. We're doing eight shows a week, you know, we're doing matinees and stuff like that. So there, there's been a lot of performances of it. And we are, there are other Rat Pack shows, I'm sorry to say, but there are no other Rat Pack shows with the character of Joey Bishop. And then, um, my wife, after her father passed away, uh, I was, she did a, a show in New York of her father's, uh, undiscovered work. Oh, wow. And she, she sang all these songs I'd never heard. She wouldn't let me listen to anything. And I sat there weeping with a table full of my friends that I invited to see her. And after the show, I had this idea. I said, I want to take some of those songs. And I want to put them in the show and create a character for you called Frank's One Love based on the relationship of Frank and Ava Gardner. And this is kind of a dream sequence where Frank is lamenting the loves in his life and you will encompass, you will mean all the women and you're going to sing those songs with Frank as a duet. And it's incredibly wonderful and moving and touching. And uh, she's really got just an ethereal voice. She's got one of those Disney incredible uh, from heaven voices. Uh, she's really spectacular. And, uh, we're actually, even as I talk to you now, we're hoping for some good news. She's been, uh, someone's talking to her about uh, a TV show and we're waiting to get, uh, hopefully the, the word that they're going to, uh, she's going to get an opportunity to do that. Oh, wow. Fan. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, yes. com. Go, yes. go to our website and you hear this incredible voice. Yeah. And I'll put everything in the links for the episode. People can check it out. Now, before I let you go, I want to talk about some of the acting that you did. So when did you, did somebody approach you or something that you wanted to do like act in films and TV shows? Oh yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, in college I was, I was majoring in hotel, but I was minoring in theater. 
Oh, okay. uh, I did some plays. Uh, of course, I've been around in Las in Las Vegas and got to see all these wonderful performers. Uh, and all of these wonderful performers, not only were they, you know, nightclub performers, but a lot of them were actors. You know, Kelly Savalas had Kojak. Oh, yeah. What, what was his name? Uh, uh, Corporal Agarn. Why can't I remember his name from F Troop? Larry oh. Storch. Yeah, yeah. Larry, Larry Storch. And my dad had done all these movies. Rickles had done a bunch of movies. You know, Flip Wilson had a TV show. So, you know, you just go, I'm not, that looks like fun. I'd like to do that. And uh, so um, I got a call from a woman one day who was, uh, at the time, she was the head of casting at CBS. And she had tracked me down and she said, you don't know me. I'm the head of casting at CBS. I read an article about you and my job is to find new talent. I wonder if you'd be kind enough to come in and meet with me. So I did. So I sat and talked with her and she had me read something and she says, you know, you, you, you've got a, a natural quality, but you need some training. So I suggest you go to acting school and keep in touch with me. And so I signed up for some classes to polish myself. And uh, then I got a call from her one day and she said, uh, I, I have a project for you. I'd like you to come in and read for. And it was a pilot for a, a TV show. And uh, I got the part and I did the pilot. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked up, but that just kind of got me off and going. And then, you know, I've done all over the years. I've done a, a, a lot of stuff. Now you have a hot dog, the movie. It was a very small part in that and cannonball run too. They have you in cannonball run as uh, the official, and then hamburger. But, but the interesting thing about yeah. Cannibal Run 2 is in that movie was Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis, all the original members of the Rat Pack. Oh, look at that. No, one thing I was going to say is one movie is usually I try to watch some of the stuff before I talk to people because I don't like to BS. But one movie I watched the trailer for it and I want to watch, I, I like need to watch the whole movie and find it is X Cop. Oh, that's well. First of all, it was a very low budget film. Oh, I know I that. We shot it. We shot, I think we shot it on sixteen millimeter. But and uh, there, there are two stories for that for that film that I remember that were particularly humorous to me. I was shooting a Christmas special. I had a partner in Las Vegas. He since passed away, Tony Saka. But every year, he used to go up to Mount Charleston. Uh, the little lodge up there and shoot a Christmas special with a bunch of Las Vegas entertainers. And I would go up with them for a couple of days. We'd set up all the equipment and the lights, and then we'd shoot it. And I did everything you could do, uh, you know, uh, whatever we had to do to, to set up and produce and direct and everything like that. And so some guy comes up and at night we're shooting and he decides he's going to bring his own video camera and tape what we're doing. And I said to him, you can't do that. And he goes, oh, but I want to. And I just teed off on him. And I shut him down so fast. And he packed it up and put it away. And then I get a call from this guy three or four months later. And he says, I don't know if you remember me, but and I, I have no idea who he is. He says, we met at, da, 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 at the Christmas special. He says, I was trying to tape something. You wouldn't let me. So I'm thinking, you know, now it's retribution time. He's, he's got something to tell me. Yeah. And I, I said, what can I do for you? He says, well, I, I wrote this movie, he says, and I'd like to offer you the part, a part in the movie. And I said, uh, okay. He says, uh, if I give you my address, could you come by and, uh, you know, can I give you the script or can I bring it by? And I said, sure. So he brings me the this, this script or I go and get it. I don't even remember. And, uh, I read it and I said, I call him and go, which part he goes, the, the, the killer. <laughs> and I go, Oh, I, I've always wanted to play a killer. <laughs> um, and so I said to him, I said, why do you want me to play the killer? He says, cause the night you told me to shut down that camera, you scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up playing the killer in that movie. And there was this climactic scene at the end. We had to go, we were out in the desert. We were in a cave and we're there for like all day. And we're finally done like a 14 or 16 hour day. And we're walking out of the cave in, in, in like pitch black with just little lights, you know, trying to find our way out of the cave into the desert, out to the cars to go back. 
and the uh, assistant director, and there was the crew was like four people. So the the, the guy who's carrying the film canister, 16 millimeter film, millimeter film, he trips and falls, and the canister hits the ground and pops open and goes everywhere. And we had to go shoot it all again. Oh my god! That is. So you had to do that whole the end sequence, and I guess that's when you get blown up in the. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> but hey, you got to play a killer, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I actually, I, now that I'm, I'm thinking about, I think we were like eight hours there, and it was probably around six or seven o'clock at night, and we started like six o'clock in the morning, and so we got, we got out, and he tripped, and it exposed it, um, and then we had to stay in there until like two or three in the morning, reshooting everything. <laughs> Is there any other roles that you did over the years? You were on Las Vegas, uh, On Common Ground, like a bunch of different series. Uh, on Common Ground was a PBS series, was and I shot that in LA. And yeah, the director was very sweet, and he called me one day. He said, "I wrote a double episode for you," and I said, "Cool." And uh, and that really was a series that was developed by PBS to teach foreigners the English legal language. Oh, wow. But it was fun for me, and I enjoyed doing it. I did another film. It was the young film director in Las Vegas named Kelly Schwartz, and I did a movie called uh, Sin, uh, which was S-I-N, I-S period, I period, and it was Special Investigation Network, and I played a uh, like a investigator for that. And then we did a sci-fi film. We did an animated project. But, you know, most everything I did was you know, low budget stuff. Although a hamburger was at a nice budget, but it, it, you know, it didn't fare well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Is there any other, do, do you want to like get into acting at all again? Like another? Oh, absolutely. I, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love acting and I, I would love to do uh, more and stuff like that. And sometimes present himself and sometimes they don't, but, uh, I'm now back in Los Angeles where my daughter's going to school and have been back here for a while, left Las Vegas. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pursuing that, you know, uh, and we'll see what, uh, hopefully something will transpire. And then I, I have, I optioned a book I love and turned it into a screenplay and I've tried to sell that. And that's been a challenge I think would make a great series, but, uh, and we came close. We had everything put together, and then 2008 hit with the market, and then yeah. our money disappeared. So you know, this business has a lot of challenges. But you know, along with all that stuff, my wife's this incredible songwriter, and uh, you know, she's out there hawking songs and writing stuff. <laughs> and we took her. Uh, she wrote some Christmas songs. We took one of them and put them in the holiday version of our show, Rat Pack oh, awesome. Christmas. And uh, you know, it just you just keep banging along. And then, you know, the kids are venturing off into this and who knows what will happen for them. There's no guarantees in this business. No, but you have to put yourself out there and I'm sure you're just as supportive as your dad was. So I'm sure they have a good, uh, good foundation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think they're both remarkably talented and very capable of doing whatever they want. And I don't know if, if this is truly what they want. They're dabbling in it at the moment. And my son is studying musical theater at NYU, but whether or not that's what he chooses to do, I'm also seeing some of his work and he's directed a couple things. And I'm wondering, is he going to be a director or a video director or uh, audio? He's going to write songs. I I don't, I think he's very capable of doing it all. That's awesome. And uh, so one thing, have you ever written a script about like, or has anybody ever, ever attempted like a biopic about your dad? Not that I know of. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been working on a book about him, and when we originally wanted to do this interview, I was hell-bent to get that done. And then we ran into some other situations that held us up from finishing the book. I'm about, I've actually written the book. We just haven't gotten to publishing it yet. Um, it, but it's, it's, uh, it's all written. Uh, and my wife came up with this very unique way to present it in print. Um, because it had a lot of pictures and I didn't want them just to be like in the middle. So I I think she actually reinvented the book. And when it comes out, I think it's going to be, 
really something wonderful to behold. She's uh, quite the uh, creative person. You guys are a match made in heaven. Look at that. And is it called My Buddy? The, 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 the show is called My Buddy. Oh, what's the book called? And, uh, I think it's called My Buddy, but I'm, I, we, we may change the title. I'm not sure. All right. We, we, we could change it to What the Fuck Took You So Long to Write This. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be pretty good. That'd be great when you walk into Barnes and Noble right on like the recommended. Uh, yeah. Hi, right, do you have what the fuck took so long to write this? Yeah, we have uh, 5,000 of them here. <laughs> yeah, I love looking at the pictures on your uh, website. They're so cool. The ones when, you know, just, just your stage of life and the photos of your dad are, those are very special to have. Well, you know, other people look at them and I go, that was my life. I'm very proud. Working with him was. Uh, you know, when you get to work with your father, I mean, first of all, standing and watching him on stage and then, you know, then you start to go into that. And, you know, I remember saying to him when I first started, you know, someday I'd like to work with you. And he said, someday. And then he used to come every couple of years and, you know, check up on me if I was working at a comedy club somewhere and, and he could get to it or he could come by and take a look. And, you know, about 10 years one day after the show, he said, let's go have something to eat. And he said, he looked at me, he says, you're ready. And I said, for what? He says, to come work with me. And it was, uh, it was a dream come true. I bet, man. That's so cool. Sandy, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been amazing. Uh, my pleasure. And I, I know we don't have a, an inordinate amount of humor in this, but I'm, I'm telling the story. So if you ever want to tell jokes sometime, we could do that too. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, for anybody listening, you should go to my wife's website, lisadonmiller.com. Mybuddyhackett.com is the show about me and my dad. And we'd love to bring it to wherever you are. If you're in the business of putting on stage plays, it's a great father-son story. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Sandy Hackett's Rat Pack show. And it's sandysratpack.com. And if you just want comedy, sandyhackett.com. That's all of it. And I'll put the links in there for people to check out. And thank you so much. Uh, I wish you nothing but success and good luck doing this. You know what I love about talking to comedians, which I think I consider myself a funny guy. Who wouldn't, right? I guess if you think you're funny, you should. People laugh at you, you should think you're funny. And yeah, it was great a few times that I had him laughing pretty good. And Man, he was just so so cool just to talk about you know his father and then what he did, his acting roles, his story about them having to reshoot that scene uh, in The X-Cop, and just so much more. Again, all the links that we talked about are in the episode notes. So his website, the website he has dedicated for his father, his wife, everything will be in the episode notes. So your homework, Cannonball Run 2. Oof. Nick our guest reviewer, a munchie expert, he bought it and he said it's the best like four bucks he ever spent on iTunes. So that's saying something. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at sequels only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.